This is the Outpace Coaching Podcast presented by Coach Anthony and Coach Peter. Together, we strive to help you outpace the competition. In this podcast, we dive into everything endurance sports related and give you our perspective on what will make you faster. Hi, this is Coach Anthony and Coach Peter. And we are here for the June um, edition of the Outpace Coaching. June already. Yes, yeah. Outpace Coaching Podcast. Um, and we're going to start with just some monthly uh, updates in the tri world, the Outpace updates. Um, this past weekend, we did our first uh, Outpace 70.3 Olympic. You, I was. You're uh, now officially a race director. Race race coordinator. Not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, coordinator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was it was a really great time. It was a fun um, fun weekend putting it on. I think everybody had a great experience. It was just just for fun for those to to kind of test their fitness. A little bit of a competitive yeah atmosphere. race slash hard training day. Yep, yep, yeah. yeah, more or less a training day for a lot of people. Um, you could do whatever distance you want. I mapped out a swim course, a bike course, yeah, a run we did course. It just to, we did it out of Lake Ann. Yeah. Which yep. which I find I am finding is like a hidden gem. Yeah. Like now I feel like I go there so often, you know, because it's like the perfect area to bike around. I mean, you can run, but yep. it's not like and then the lake is amazing. It's the best open water swimming yeah. lake. Yeah, so uh, some people did, you know, it was a multi-loop course for the bike and the run, so you could do as much as you wanted yeah. based on how you're feeling. We were a little short on the swim. Yeah, a little short on the swim. <laughs> people started swimming along the shore. And yeah, I was, it was like the most varied swim yeah. course I've ever seen. Right away, I was thinking, this is a good learning experience for everyone to not follow the person in front of you. Yeah. Because I had, I was out further and I ended up scooting in because I saw them swimming a little bit longer along the shore and I was like, well, I don't want it to be too much further than what it was supposed to be yeah and funny thing on on the following someone because we didn't i mean we didn't have a buoy per se you know those are expensive so we just had everyone go to the beach and then when you got to the beach turn but there wasn't a super firm definition of when to turn like oh do you touch the sand do you touch the dock Uh, and i think it was michelle i hadn't seen her and i was i knew i was getting close to the beach area um, and I was like, oh, thinking in my head, okay, at some point I'm going to have to turn. And I knew this because I punched her in the face because oh, no. she turned right as I was like, all right, I think I must be getting close. And I like hit up, I looked up, we kind of made eye contact and then that's how I knew to turn. So oh, there's a little bit of a contact aspect to it, but I talked to her afterwards. She's all good. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a good time. We set up aid station on the bike, um, aid station on the run. And then we had... Um, another one, one, Michelle's mom and yeah. and, and uh, stepdad set up an awesome aid station on, across the course. A and we had a couple signs. aid stations, a couple signs. Felt like a race. Yeah, it was it was quite the ordeal, but uh, yeah, it was a really really fun time. And um, we're planning on doing another one in July here to uh, to just give people another opportunity to train for something. Yeah. Um, yeah. The um, I mean the the bike course is good. You go out kind of like a stem. You hitch up with Pioneer. You know, there's some lights, but you're, there's yeah. it's inevitable with a non close course. Yeah. yeah, and then um, what is the Engler and Highway Five? Yeah, yeah. Highway Five was a little. I mean, that's a pretty hilly section. Yeah, and that's where the the wind was coming from. So the second half of the loop was definitely much more miserable than the first. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, all around good course. You know, I think. There was a range of how lucky people got with lights. We were oh, just yeah. talking about this. Like, I probably had the luckiest light 
segment I've ever had. I didn't ever have to stop. Like, that never <laughs> happens. And then there's some people that had, like, you know, it every stopped stop. at every single stop sign and light. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, that's why it's like, it's not a race. It's just a, a fun, hard training day, right? Yeah. Like, no true results or anything. Yeah, I think, and that's... Um, like I'd mentioned on Facebook, you know, it was, there was no results, no awards, no, you know, nothing, you know, not even a finish line, yeah. you know, and it kind of brings you back, you know, the transition area was in people's trunk, you know, for those that started triathlon many, many years ago, that's how it was. Like it, it there wasn't any official, you know, there was no official race, yeah. race site and all this stuff. People it's just kind of nice, up the, and, the chill transitions. Yeah, you can yeah. uh, take your time and yep. eat something guilt-free. Yep, yep. Not, you know? But it but it just kind of brings people back to kind of the roots of the sport and, and yeah. remind people that we're we're doing this just to have fun and, you know, without the additional accolades and yeah. the, the awards and stuff. I mean, I think good. we touched on it on the, the May one, you know, because I had done what would have been Chattanooga by myself. Um, which is okay. I mean, I think this was much, much better to actually have like the camaraderie of it and yeah. like other people around doing it too. Um, but again, it just, it's, I think it, it kind of doubles down on it's, it's a bad, you know, it's a precarious situation we're in with COVID obviously, but it doesn't mean that the entire season is lost, right? Like there's things to be gained out of it and you can still train and have fun with others and have a community behind it. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure most of us would have loved to have been in Des Moines instead, <laughs> but it is what yeah. it is, right? It's better yeah. than nothing. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then this weekend, um, there's the first official Ironman race. Yeah, um, of course, it's in Texas. Texas. <laughs> Where else? Texas, yeah, <laughs> which will be, I think, a good kind of a good test for Ironman and just the the whole situation we're in and, and hopefully not everyone gets sick and you know <laughs> I'm interested to see like how yeah. it plays out I mean you know I, I like I follow on I follow Ironman like on social media and they usually either add it on like a live stream or highlights of it oh, so yeah. I'm interested to see like the video if there's spectators there you know like I, or if there are plenty but they're just wearing masks you know like I'm curious to see if there's like a full pro field, right? Because I was talking to someone about it yesterday. It's like, are there even slots to be had here? You know, because if 70.3 Worlds and Kona is canceled, you know, are people saying like, well, everyone's just going to get pushed back. So what's the point of racing, you know? So yeah, I'm curious how that plays out. Have they rescheduled uh, 70.3 Worlds? Uh, I don't know. I okay. thought that's what I had heard, but maybe not. I mean, okay. when is that supposed to be? November? It was supposed to be November. Oh, it is. It's in New Zealand, right? Yeah. You know what? Maybe they haven't because New Zealand is like oh, fully right. back on track now. Like they're playing like rugby games and yeah. they have. Well, I know they 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 postponed it, but they didn't have a specific date on when they would. Oh, do so it. they did postpone. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, maybe you're right. Yeah. Um, well, and that's why I was just curious to see if like they actually would have a pro field at these races. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I know. With with this race coming up this this weekend, it seems like the Ironmans kind of come out with their guidelines or their their new yeah new protocols for for racing, which will, should be interesting. Like you said, it'll be a good I just good watched, test this weekend. Yeah, I just watched that video. I mean, like I think they're moving the ceremony to like a virtual one, yeah. which is kind of anticlimactic. But I guess that's one of the non-essential items that, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you there's like touch no touch point um, temperature readings you have to do. Like, I, I think the swim is structured completely different. They're talking about cutting their 
um, bike racks, like, or the amount of bikes per rack in half. Yeah. Um, and I know we were just talking about this. I mean, you'd think something's got to give, right? Like, it's either got to be the size of transition or the quantity of athletes. Yeah. So I did go on their website before this, and you can still register. So okay. I can't imagine it's full. For Lubbock? Or yeah, for, for okay. Lubbock, okay. yeah. So, Thinking about going down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, flights are cheap enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that'll be a good test. Hopefully it goes well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Now for your monthly minute where we offer you a training and racing tip. This month's topic, post-workout nutrition and hydration. After your daily workouts, within 30 minutes, try to get in a ratio of carbs to protein of a four to one. After larger training work sessions, like a three hour plus workout, trying to get in 1.5 grams of carbohydrates per pound of body weight, and you can space those that fueling out over the course of two to three hours post-workout, and also getting in 15 to 25 grams of high-quality protein. On the hydration side of things, 40 to 50 ounces per kilogram of body weight lost, so if you weigh yourself before the session and you weigh yourself after, and also supplement with some type of electrolyte, like such as noon. And that concludes your monthly minute. Now for the main topic of this month's podcast, which is all about the run portion of triathlon. All right, so now for this month's topic, um, which is all about the run portion of the triathlon. So before we dive into it, uh, I think there's a... Um, a review from the lat. We had some criticism, yeah. specifically from Dina, uh, <laughs> and I think it's I think it's a fair point she made. So on the bike of last month, we talked about the distances of it, um, and specifically the high percentage the bike makes up of the distance of triathlon, um, which if you look at the distance of it is true, but I think it's a fair criticism that we we didn't look at it holistically. Like the time. Exactly. The time, yeah. So, it, yes, that's true. I mean, 77% or so of the bike distance is uh, made, or of the triathlon distance is made up of bike, but that is, that is not indicative of timing. Um, and so I, I think, you know, if we look at, so I pulled together just kind of an example, um, and this is the best data I could find on kind of what the average Ironman athlete does. Um, so this it says the answer is based on 41,000 finishers over 25 um, triathlons. And it says on average, the, finish, um, the average finishing time is about 12 hours and 35 minutes for an Ironman triathlete. 2.4 mile swim um, makes up an hour and 16 of that average. So the average swim is about an hour and 16 minutes. The average bike is about six hours and 25 minutes, and the average run is about four hours and 54 minutes. So yes, I mean, that's, you know, that's a fair critique of the, of the distance portion of it because, I mean, if we break that down into percentages, you're talking 10% 10, 10 for the swim, about 40% for the run, and 50% for yeah. the bike. Um, and so then I, for those, like, like the Olympic distance, I mean, you're looking at you know, a huge percentage for the swim, you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah, time-wise. You're time right, wise. you're right. And, and if we broke this down to Olympic and stuff, it would change too. So I think that's a fair thing that we should put asterisks on. <laughs> you know, we, I think what, what we were trying to get, convey still holds yeah. true though. Like, you know, if you are, 
I guess your run-of-the-mill average, like we talked about here, Ironman triathlete, and you're trying to take it to the next level, and you don't have a background in any of the sports, I still think that your time is very well spent prioritizing good bike sessions and time on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not to take anything away from the swim or the run, um, but I, I still think that you look at people's first triathlon and the amount they have to gain on their bike can be upwards of an hour plus and it's just harder to gain that on the run even if you're doing a 454 yeah. that's not to say you can't gain a lot yeah. on the run and swim um so yeah just a little asterisk there <laughs> we didn't want to make any of the pure swimmers or runners yeah. too upset so. we didn't want to have any uh so any just, swimmers just sending to... us nasty uh <laughs> text messages <laughs> So, um, yeah, so there. So, anyway, now back to the run specifically. So, just some quick numbers on the run. Um, a sprint triathlon, uh, again, just talking about the total distances here, 15.96. It's a 3.1-mile run, so basically a 5K. The Olympic is going to be a 6.2, so a 10K. A uh, half Ironman will be a half marathon, 13.1. And then a full distance will be a full marathon, so 26.2. Um, you know, just kind of fun. We last time we looked at some some pro records, um, so we did the same thing for the run here. I'm starting to realize that Texas is kind of one of those. All the shorts, yeah. It's those races that's seen in the triathlon community as like, oh, you got your PR at Texas, right? Like, it's <laughs> because every record book has Texas on there, but they have an asterisk next to it, like it's quasi counted. So if we're doing the same thing here. The overall Ironman run record does say Texas, just like the bike one did, with an asterisk next to it. But the time was two hours and 34 minutes and 39 seconds, um, Matt Hansen. And if you're saying that that was the full 26.2, that's a 5.54 pace. So, I mean... Per mile. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, regardless of whether it was slightly short, I'm sure he ran incredible. I mean, it's still incredibly impressive. If you want to take the next route, which is kind of what they consider the official record, that's 236.09, which is Ben Hoffman at Florida. And that's still a sub-six pace, so 5.58 per mile. I mean, it's I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the women's overall record, uh, this was done by Kristen Moeller, and that was actually Ironman UK, so n not the classic um, Texas here. And that was 241.57, so that's 6.11 per mile, so super fast. Um, and then we just thought it'd be fun kind of to show maybe some of the, the short course records, so the Olympics. Um, Alistair Brownlee has the current record for the men's Olympic. That was at the 2012 Olympics in London. Um, and that was a 29.08, so a 4.42 pace. Which is steaming. That, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing open ten k. I mean, like ninety nine percent of people, you couldn't have them run one mile at that pace. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we did the outpace one mile, yeah, and there was like one, one person, couple people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then for the women, it was Emma Snowsill, uh, and that was at the two thousand eight Olympics, uh, and she did a thirty three sixteen, which is a five twenty two pace. Okay, yeah, that's that's also absolutely insane. Yeah, but, but just shows the. The the capability of people is yeah, there, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, those are cool. The, the percentages just to break it down, and then for those who who don't don't necessarily know what distance triathlon offers, mm -hmm. you know, and and what kind of run distance there is associated with that. 
Yeah, so, um, and then I guess so our first topic we really wanted to touch on as far as running goes was, I think this is one that athletes bring up a lot, is how should I use, or what, what should I use, excuse me, to pace out my training for running. Um, you know, I think the three main ones are, would be heart rate, pace, and then um, RPE, which is rate of perceived effort. Um, I think we would both agree that you use all of them. Um, I think depending on the athlete, some might be more suited to one versus the other. Um, I, I don't know. I, do you want to maybe start with heart rate and, and why you think what advantages heart rate has and, and how it works well with certain athletes? Yeah. So, um, yeah, heart rate, I mean, it's a, it's a great metric to track and, and be aware of, um, you know, and, and especially for those that are comfortable wearing a heart rate strap consistently throughout their training. It's something to 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 see, you know, how your body's responding to the training, whether or not, you know, your heart rate response to a session you did a month prior is mm-hmm. is is different, you know, or, or you're tracking fatigue. Um, but the difficulty with it is there's just so many confounding variables yeah. um, that that influence heart rate, and, and that on a day to day basis it could be much different. You know, and I have a few examples, you know, with, with if it's really hu- hot or humid, if you're coming into the session dehydrated, um, there's something referred to as cardiac drift that throughout a session, you're going to naturally get an elevated heart rate as you get more fatigued. Your heart rate's going to have to work harder to, to put out the, the same effort level. Yeah. And then caffeine, like, you know, most endurance athletes love ca- caffeine and coffee, um, you know, caffeinated gels and all of that has a big influence on heart rate. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that can be a benefit to heart rate if you look at it right is it could show you maybe some fatigue that you have. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh man, I, this is supposed to be an aerobic run, but I'm all over the place with my heart rate. You know, that can be indicative of... You're going into these sessions with a lot of fatigue built up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I just just one thing to build off of that. I mean, I think heart rate, when used right and when used in the with the correct athlete, is probably the most beneficial one if you can really dial it in. Um, that being said, it's difficult, right? Like I think there's a lot of athletes who've tried to use it and get very frustrated with it. Um, you know, I know personally when I started, I, I, I love training with heart rate. I think it works well for me, but it was frustrating just because like I had to run so slow just to stay within the right heart rate zones. And you think you're like, this can't be right, you know, but it's like, but that's the thing is most people are running too fast. If you look at true heart rate and I think it's kind of a hard pill to swallow for people up front. Um, so yeah, I mean, heart rate's definitely the most contentious one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's you know, and that's that's what's you know, as people if people are patient and, and trust the process, they know that what they did in a session today, you know, it might have kept them at a certain pace, but yeah. a year down the road, really, that, that exactly. same that same pace, you know, is going to be or the same heart rate's going to have a much quicker pace if you're training. But properly. the problem is, is it's like patient. You got to double down on that word. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, and there's a good chance not. It might not happen that much in one season. Like yeah. you're talking, it's an iterative process that lasts a long time. Yeah, like yeah. you have to be patient with it and just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out and upset about yeah. it. Heart rate, I should mention, you know, in regards to the bike, the previous podcast, heart rate for running is a much better metric yes. for running than it is for biking. I Agreed. think we maybe mentioned that. Um, so definitely something to track, definitely something to keep, you know, record of um, and use. Uh, but it just kind of depends on the athlete and kind of what their goals are. Yeah, and um, not to beat heart rate to death, but one thing that I am a stickler about is 
I do not trust risk-based heart rate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you'll see people post something and, and they'll talk about their heart rate and it's like, oh, you like that. So you wore a monitor, right? No, it's my wrist. Well, <laughs> yeah, I've seen like personally when I forget my heart rate monitor at like ridiculous numbers for runs when it's wrist-based heart rate. It's just, it's not trustworthy yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I, hopefully they get better. I know like the tightness of your watch, like how much you sweat, like yeah, liquid the pigment it. of your skin, like how, if you're really tan, maybe, you know, there's just so many influence, that's trapped. It's, it's touchy. It's yeah. the direct port to your heart. So it's, it's definitely, yeah. definitely a better way to go about doing that. Yeah. Um, so next one, RPE. Yeah, RPE, um, so rate of perceived effort. Um, there's two different scales, one that's a zero to 10 scale and one that's a six to 20 scale. Um, zero to 10 is much easier to follow and just keep track of. Um, 10 being you're going to fall off the end of a treadmill, yeah. zero being you're <laughs> laying on the couch. So yeah. that provides people, um, again, the, the biggest thing is making sure people understand their internal cues, how they feel you know, not always relying on a metric or a pace or something that's always driving their intensity. Yeah. Um, because I, when you're in a race, you know, if something goes out or you start feeling a different way, like you need to know how to interpret and know what to do to, to, to change and, and to get yourself out yeah, of that. Yeah, just to build off of that, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm super metric driven in training, right? Like I love heart rate. I'm upset if I do a run and I forget my heart rate strap, you know, pace and all that. But dur during a race, I really struggle to stick to the metrics constantly. It feels like extra energy. So I think the important thing with RP is like being able to translate it to your metrics. Like the whole point of this thing is to quantify yourself and your body and know yourself better than your watch was, right? Like I think the best athletes know when they're in aerobic heart rate and yeah. they know when they're pushing it too hard and they know like they're pacing without having to look at their watch. Yeah, yeah. So I think like the, the pace and the heart rate is great for training, but like RP still to me ends up being the most important one because like RPE should translate to those other things, the yeah. metrics of it. Yeah, that's a really good point with, you know, being able to correlate an intensity with a heart rate. Like, you know, those that have used heart rate and then maybe, you know, don't use it during a race, they know exactly what pace yeah. they're at without, yeah. and, and know, know what heart rate they're at just by how they feel. Yeah. And that's, that's hugely beneficial for, um, for, for racing and, and just getting a sense of yeah. how your body's doing. Yeah, and then I would say, I mean, the last one here we've kind of touched on already is pace. Um, you know, I, th I think pace is really useful for maybe those faster sessions, right? Like I think most of the time it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like you want 80% of your runs to be in aerobic, zone two easy. Um, but, you know, on those days where it's the 20 and you're going to the track and you're going doing this and doing repeats, I think that's where pace is really useful because it's hard to be like, all right, go run in zone four. Well, you know, there's a delay and all that and everything, but if I want you to do sets of quarter mile 200, repeats. yeah, exactly. That's perfect for pacing. Yeah, like that's yeah. where pacing really plays in well, I think. Yeah, and for those that um, have time standards um, that they need, to, they need to hit, if they're training for Boston Marathon yeah, and they hard, have yeah. this time that they need to hit, or maybe they've been doing triathlon for years and years and they know where they want to be at, yeah. you know, and, and what they want to hit for an Olympic or a sprint or a half or a full. And in those cases, that's where pace comes a little bit more into the equation. Cause if you know what pace you need to hit for a race, well, we're going to make sure you're training at that specific pace, mm -hmm. you know, in a race, 
the race results don't don't show heart rate. Who cares what your heart rate yeah, is? Like yeah. it's gonna show your pace. That's a good point. Yeah. So so being able to target yeah, 178 yeah. average heart rate. You got a Boston spot. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so that's where pace is really. Uh, I think for for those who have a little bit more experience, I agree. Um, I agree. And and are doing more of those that have time standards, harder to work out. So that that's the way to go. Well, yeah, and like I think a big thing with me this summer has been able to try and not worry about the heart rate as much because I did two years of all the heart rate and the slow and steady and all that. Um, and then being at a point where being comfortable with your heart rate, then you can be like, all right, I have an A race that's 70.3, an A race that's an Ironman. Like, what is my pace I'm shooting for? Yeah. And then how can I run at that pace with comfort? And I'm hoping that my heart rate is aligned that, oh, it's my Ironman pace. It should probably be pretty close to aerobic, right? Yeah. So I think there's like a transition where you can now start to move to pace when yeah. it makes sense. And just an example of how you can use all three, um, for example, like on a recovery day, when you go out, um, say you have a lot of fatigue in the legs, it's also very warm, um, your heart rate, um, you know, say there's a specific range within Training Peaks or whichever platform you use for, for your training, um, that heart rate range might not fit within your RPE. So your, your heart rate might, um, you know, might be exceeding your, your aerobic zone. And that's where, uh, being able to kind of modify that and just follow more RPE. Mm -hmm. Or for example, if you're looking at more pace, like maybe on that day, your pace range that you're supposed to be within isn't realistic. If yeah. it's really hot, if you're really tired and that's where maybe tracking more heart rate or RPE. And that's where you can kind of, you know, use all three to make sure your intensity is dialed in. Um, yeah, I think you know. that you're you're best suited if you can use all three. Yeah. I don't think there's any athlete you could say should only use one. Mm -hmm. You should have the ability to use yep, all three. Yep, yep, yep. All right, it's a good uh, time. Let's. So I think our next topic we wanted to talk about as far as running goes was the different types of, I guess, surfaces, if you will, that you run on. So, you know, you could look at trail versus road running versus, you know, treadmill. Um, I, I mean, I think this one is kind of specific to the type of race you're training for somewhat. I mean, you know, it's like if you're go if you're training to do a hundred mile ultra up in the, whatever the mountains or Zumbro or yeah, I would hope most of your running is on the, is, is on the trails. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, on the other foot is like, Oh, if you're training for an Ironman, I struggled with this last year as I enjoyed trail running so much that I did quite a bit of it, and then I realized that I'm spending 70% of my time going up and down hills at Afton when that's not at all applicable to my race, right? So I think like some of it should be defined by um, you know what you're training for. Yeah. But I guess it, I mean if you had to split them up, you know the advantages and disadvantages. You know, like how do you see trail running versus road running versus using a treadmill? Yeah, I think trail running is great for kind of just deloading. It's it's usually a lot easier on the body because there's a softer surface. You're on, you know. But wouldn't you say, just devil's yeah. advocate here, yeah. wouldn't you say going on a 12-mile run in Afton, let's say whatever, trail running, yeah. PO, wherever you want, and having so much elevation change and having to like pound those downhills yeah. could also be argued like harder on you. Yeah, that's that's definitely where trail running. There's if you just like bucket trail running, like there's you yeah, know, you, you could be climbing yeah. mountains or you could be running, um, you Casual know, in a prairie, trail. like yeah. a grassy yeah, prairie. prairie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
so when I'm when I'm when I'm discussing kind of the deloading, that would be more along the lines of just like a flatter, yeah. not like super hilly, like mountainous type terrain, because yeah. that would be definitely harder on the body. I would agree. Um, but just the fact that you're kind of it's uneven. You're working muscles that you stabilizing muscles that you just don't get to when you're on a flat surface like a road. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, especially if you're like on a single track trail, there is a little bit of a lateral component because you're watching off roots and whatever else. So it is great for um, kind of working out some overuse injuries and just imbalances. Yeah, I think um, you could you could put almost put a comparison like oh you run Calhoun or you, or you run a lake around here. And there's those, you know, man-made dirt sections oh, next to the trail, right? Because people want to get off the pavement yeah. and run on the like the grass or the the dirt. So yeah. that's probably a good example. That could be a trail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, like single tra- like if you find like a flatter mountain bike uh, park or something that allows running, like that's a great option as long as there's not a ton of terrain changes yep. Yep. Um, to to do some of that. But yeah, like you mentioned with the the road running. Um, you know, if you have to do what is applicable to your race or what's specific to your race. So if you are used to running on soft surfaces and you jump onto concrete, your legs and tissues and tendons and joints need to be used to the, the impact yeah. and just the stress that concrete puts on those areas. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you definitely want to, if you're doing triathlon and it's mostly not exterior racing, then you want to be running on the road for, for yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I was, you know, trying to play devil's advocate earlier on the trails just because, I guess maybe this is just my conception of it, but like to me, trail running is the hilly stuff, you know, and maybe that's just because, but it's like all those ultras, all the big trail races, I mean, they all have a ton of elevation, right? So it's like, I struggle a little bit when I hear people say, oh, but you know, you road running, that's so hard on your legs. It's like, well the most injured I've ever been is like the six month stint when I was training for those 50 milers, right? Because it was just like so much up and down and undulation. Like you said, you hit a root, you know, like I've fallen trying to go down. Um, so I think sometimes road running gets a little bit of a bad rap and and from that perspective, because it just really depends what you're comparing it to. And maybe we should say, trail slash gravel running because yeah. I think there's a lot of great gravel trails and roads yeah. around Minnesota um, and a lot of areas of the country and, and that's that's a great option just for just I mean that's so much softer than running on concrete no you're right you know, yeah, and that I would agree be, with that that'd be a great option it, usually flatter not, yeah. not super mountainous either yeah um, yeah, and then, you won't yeah. find too many triathlons that have non-road running yeah only Xterra high cliff or high cliff oh high cliff yeah, yeah. Yeah, which which is still it's like more of a yeah leisure it, walking trail. It it's, yeah, like it's, it's not like your classic super hilly trail. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when it comes to treadmill running, um, you know, a lot of people use it as a part of their um, a lot of their training, and it's it's a great way to do more focus sessions. You know, if you want to do a certain specific percentage of hill to to do a speed work or strength work on. Um, but what I always tell people is it's something that you don't want to do all the time. Like I've run into runners that yeah, they literally nice. run all the time on the treadmill and they just enjoy the structure of it. It's they do it maybe in the morning or it's just easy to push the number and you just go maybe it's safer, safer. Um, but one thing that I've noticed, uh, is because of the belt coming backwards, uh, 
it, 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 you lack gluten hamstring activation just because the belt is pulling your leg into extension. So have you seen like more prone to injury almost if someone only runs on a treadmill? Yeah, yep, yep. I, I definitely think so. Um, now if you're doing strength training to combat some yeah. of those issues, so if you're doing some glute activation and some hamstring work, um, and if you do some running outside, like you're going to be totally fine, but just don't do it. Don't do treadmill running exclusively. Yeah, sure. no, I think, and I think, right, like, it doesn't apply to both with road running versus treadmill. I mean, if you're just taking a, an Ironman or a triathlete um, as an example, I think you're fine if you do no treadmill running, yeah. if you just run on the roads. Yeah. Conversely, I think it's problematic if you never run on the roads and you only run on the treadmill, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I think that it's okay if people get, there's plenty of people who get away with just running on the roads, yeah. but I, I do think that you will have an issue if you never translate outside and you just stick on the treadmill exclusively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, like for me personally, like I I don't enjoy trail or treadmill running at all. Me neither. You know, so it's something oh. that... The time goes by at a fraction oh, yeah. of the, yeah. <laughs> the speed. So it's not something you have to do, um, but but for those that really do enjoy it or want to do more focused sessions on that rather than the track or during the winter, then it definitely incorporate it. And it is also, um, it can be slightly easier on the leg depending on the type and quality of your treadmill just because of the additional shock absorption. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you have a really, you know, $200 treadmill from Walmart or yeah, something, then, yeah. then maybe not. <laughs> yeah, like some of those hotel treadmills. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like the tiniest <laughs> belt imaginable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, I guess, transition if you talk about shock, like to our next topic. So, I really want to touch on, like, shoes. I think that's a contentious topic in the running world. Everyone's yeah. got their brand. And then, you know, um, Born to Run came out, and it was like... Oh, shoes are bad. Like cushion is why we're weak and we can't yeah, run without yeah. getting injured. You should go barefoot, like barefoot Ted. You know that weird guy. Um, so I think I, it's probably a good thing just to touch. On. I mean, not that either of us are experts, but yeah. you know, at least from our perspective, what is your opinion? I guess the first one on barefoot or like the minimalist running or the five finger toes. Oh yeah, five finger. Yeah. I think I think we probably all had a pair of those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've like tried just you know not running on barefoot like on the roads. Oh yeah, but, yeah. you know on grass or a track yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So my thoughts are working to working into more of a minimal kind of heel to toe drop shoe can be beneficial now hokas are a are minimal heel to toe drop they yeah. just have a large sole yeah um you know ultra is another brand um there's a you know there's a lot of different brands that are working kind of towards that yeah um but it is a process and you don't i definitely don't i'm not an advocate for barefoot or the five fingers or I'm anything like that <laughs> just because it's it's more so um where you contact the ground in relation to your body mass and your center of mass rather than, you know, you know, a specific shoe. Yeah. So if you're running, if you're running with a five finger and you're still heel striking and over striding, yeah. like you can still do that. It's maybe more difficult to do that because you don't have the shock you would with a normal shoe. But yeah. as long as you're focusing on those, that position, um, and, and just your, your, your technique with the shoe on and it's comfortable, then you're more or less better doing that. I think, than, well, I also think the shoe gets more credit than it deserves, right? Like it's not, the shoe is not the end all be all for running injuries. You yeah. know, like, yeah, I mean, obviously you want to find a shoe that works well for you, but I think everyone's like, 
oh, I tried a new shoe and I got injured, so I'm never doing those again, right? Like, it's like you really have to make sure you're running with the right form and then you find one that works for you. And, you know, the other thing with the barefoot running too is like, I think it's a little idealistic. You know, it's like everyone talks about, oh, that's how how we were made to run. Well, yeah, but you're also talking about the people that were made to run that way never put shoes on from birth. Like, they literally never had shoes on. And we since we were a little kid had fluffy shoes and protected feet the whole time yeah. so yeah if you're someone that was just born into that then I, I bet you would have incredible success running barefoot but yeah. you can't take a 35 year old that's been wearing hokas their whole life and just say you know what I'm gonna do barefoot now yeah. right like it, there's other problems that that's gonna introduce yeah. and it kind of seems like um, that people have definitely stepped away from like the barefoot thing. Like it used to be, you know, I feel like five, 10 years ago, it was like a huge thing. And now, yeah. you know, it's still, it's still they out realize there. Tetanus is a thing. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but really, again, the key is, you know, keeping, you know, where you contact the ground under your center of mass when it comes to cadence, just trying to be over 170. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, some people are like, Oh, you have to be over 180, but Believe me, you can do 180 and still be contacting the ground, heel striking yeah. in front of your body. Um, Some people are going to be different. Yeah. Right? Yep. So so just trying to be over 170. Like if you're consistently running at 150, then there's room to improve. Yeah. Um, but but really, again, the foot contact location is much more important than, than any type of shoe or um, any type of cadence or anything like no, that. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so then I, I think one other topic we wanted to touch on is just is more in generalities with running. Um, I, I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to do a half marathon, I'm going to do a marathon, and I should just run, right? Like maybe I'll Google kind of like a general plan. Um, but like I, I think it's important that if you're going to go beyond 10K and you actually want to compete and you want to dial things in, there is definitely a structure to it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do you want to just touch on generally kind of your thought on, let's just take marathon training, for example, you know, someone who wants to do well and compete and they have a marathon six months, you know, just a general structure you like to yeah take. Yeah. I think with, with running, um, it's really easy to, to be ambitious and to, to do too much too soon. Yeah. Um, and that's where overuse injuries pop into the equation and then you can't run, which yeah. is never fun. Um, so like for those, you know, who are just starting running or returning to running, um, one great way to, to, to incorporate the stress of running is doing a run walk type sequence. Um, and just to kind of give you a really easy su- sequence to follow, um, to build up to a 30 minute run is doing like one minute run, five minute walk. Maybe do that for a week, a couple weeks, depending on where you're starting from. And then the next next time you build up, you're doing a two-minute run, a four-minute walk. And then the next time, a three-minute run, three-minute walk. Four-minute run, two-minute walk. And then a five-minute run and one-minute walk. And then at that point, that's where you can start potentially do like a 30-minute run continuous. Um, but yeah, throughout those runs, you definitely want to do most of your training in a, kind of an aerobic zone. So yeah, we mo- touched on earlier. Yeah, most people have heard of like an, the 80-20 rule. Um, so 80% of your training should be aerobic, should be relatively easy. Whereas 20% um, is like a tempo or a speed session or some type of uh, fart lick or speed change workout or mile intervals or whatever that might be. So yeah, one thing on that, I think that I, I remember reading, I can't remember what book it was, like right when I started, 
and I the a couple of topics that they talked about really like resonated with me is that most people when they start running and I'm not talking about someone who's like literally never run and can't run for more than a couple minutes I am just talking about someone who is looking to get into it they could start out at a couple miles most people always revert to what they call that zone three heart yeah. rate right like that's kind of like the dead zone right and and when we say 80 20 you know the main thing is that 80% of your stuff should be slower than you really want it to be up front, right? Like most people do their slow stuff too fast and their fast stuff too slow, Yeah. right? So I think it's important to like get out of that gray zone in the middle and segregate that that 80% is gonna be nice and slow and you're looking to build your aerobic threshold up. And then when you go fast, go fast. Like yeah. actually go fast and go hard, whether it's a hill session or track session. Because yeah. you know, everyone just kind of, uh, they run a little bit too fast on their slow and they don't feel like going too fast on the run and then that's when you end up getting into that gray zone in the middle. Yeah, yeah you definitely want to differentiate the the intensity of the yeah, sessions. Yeah, the speed change, yep, yep. yeah. And then, you know, when it comes to that those volume increases, so say you follow like that protocol of like building into the run-walk type thing, like once you get past a certain point or maybe you're, you're already at a level where you don't have to worry about that, um, increasing your run volume about 10 to 15 percent per week is kind of a rule of thumb it's you know and and then of course you know 15 percent is even like you got to be careful yeah 15 percent yeah and this is so individual like some people are just meant to be high volume athletes and can handle a lot of stress and maybe they've maybe been running for a long period of time and took only a few months off and they're coming back to it like they're going to be able to handle an increase quicker than someone who's brand new but even like i would i you know use myself as an example took the winter off to ski which is great and i b built a lot of fitness but then i timed to get back into running and like i mean definitely didn't abide by that rule and was like well i skied all winter i'm fit i got that you know and immediately had all sorts of like calf thing my achilles was hurting and stuff and all I had to do was just scale back the running and go back to revert back to just slowly increasing it and it was gone, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of times people are like, oh man, I'm injured. It was like, well, why don't you take a look at the volume because you can't just double your volume week by week. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yes. yeah definitely. And then for most people, especially triathletes, um, we're always cross-training, but those that are just looking to do more running, you know, Cross-training is so important, whether that's doing some type of strength training or biking or swimming or hiking or whatever that might be, um, incorporating that into your schedule so that you're not always running. If you're going to plan on running seven days a week, like yeah. you're better off taking one of those days and doing something else. I think the most yeah. successful people in that, if even if they consider themselves a runner, are the ones that are willing to do other activities. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, running is the mo the highest impact of the three. So if you can continue to gain fitness in other ways um, that doesn't continue to impact the same muscles day after day, it's, I mean, you're just, you're just helping yourself out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As always, we like to wrap up the podcast with a quote. This month's quote is not quite as philosophical as in months past, but we feel it is very applicable to everyone. The author is anonymous. Um, we could not find one, but I think that many of us have said this at some <laughs> point. I run because I really like food. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you next month.